people said, amen, amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why don't we read the first three verses, and then we'll kind of set the context for where we are at this morning. Here's what God's Word says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's stop right there. So we find out right up front who's writing this letter. So who's writing this letter? Paul and Sosthenes. Okay. And they're writing to which church? The church at Corinth. And so remember how that church, you guys remember how that church began in Corinth? You remember who planted that church? You guys remember? It was the Apostle Paul who planted this church that he's writing to. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 18, some of you are familiar with the story. Remember, Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he, was, he just left Athens, and he came to Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. If you've got a Bible map uh, in the back of your Bible, you can check out the uh, exact location. We're talking about modern-day Greece. And so Paul cruises into Corinth, and you remember who he came in contact with? He met this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, these Jews that came from Rome. They had been kicked out of Rome, and they came to Corinth, and now it wasn't an accident. They came in contact with the Apostle Paul. They were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. So they went into business together, um, selling, making tents, selling tents, Paul was able to support his ministry. That's where we get the, the word he's tent making. That's his job to support his ministry. And so remember what Paul did? Every time he came to a city, the first thing he would do was go to the where synagogue. He'd go to church, right? And doors would be open for him to share uh, God's good news about Jesus Christ. And he would reason with the Jews that were there in the synagogue because our faith is a reasonable faith, you guys. Paul would t open the Old Testament scriptures. He would show them how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, how Jesus completely fulfilled all of those uh, pr prophecies and predictions about his first coming. And so he would minister to the Jews that were there. And so he was there ministering to them. But then after a while, they didn't want to hear it anymore. They're like, dude, we're, we're done. You're out of here. So they kicked Paul out. And Paul said, you know what? Okay, blood is on your head. It's on you, man. I shared with you about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, that he is the promised Messiah. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And you guys remember where he went? Next door. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And he goes right next door to this dude named, his name was Justice. So he goes to Justice's house that was connected there to the synagogue, and he began to minister at Justice's house. And the ruler of the synagogue, his name was Crispus. Interesting name, isn't it? So Crispus gets saved, gives his life to the Lord, and now all of a sudden people are coming to know the true and the living God. There's an amazing work of God happening there, and something happened with Paul. Paul became afraid. The great apostle Paul? Do godly men and women ever have fear? 
We do, don't we? David said, the man of God, he said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Paul was afraid. And remember what happened? Isn't Jesus so good? He's so Isn't Jesus awesome? Remember what the Lord did? He came to him that night in a vision. And he said, the first words to Paul were, don't be afraid. Literally, stop fearing. What's God's answer to fear throughout the scriptures? I am with you. That's, God's, that's his answer always. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they come for me. God's answer for your fear, just like we sang just a minute ago, didn't we? He stands by my side because he stood in my place. He's with you no matter where you go. You're never alone. He's always standing right by your side. That's God's answer to fear. But why would Paul be afraid? He's a great apostle Paul, isn't he? He never... You wouldn't think he got afraid. Why was he afraid? You guys remember what would happen after he would go to the synagogue and minister? People were getting saved. Were the Jews happy? By and large? No. What would they do? They'd give him a beat down, wouldn't they? Or he'd get, he'd get stoned with, with rocks. He'd get hit with rods. He'd get a beating. And so now God's doing this awesome work, and Paul's thinking, I'm done. I'm going to get my beating now. I can't take another beating, man. And he's afraid. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. I am with you. You keep preaching. You keep teaching. You keep sharing with these people. Because I have many people in this city. All those people that would become part of this Corinthian church. So what did Paul do? He was faithful. He continued to preach preach and teach there the word of God for a year and a half. Maybe even more. And so... That's the church that he's writing to. God planted a church right there through the Apostle Paul. And now he's writing to these precious people that he cares about, that he loves. And remember Corinth, you guys remember, know anything about Corinth? Corinth was a, um, was a strategic, famous, ancient city. It was famous for their business, for their commerce. It was a wealthy city. They had lots of business. It was a seaport also and a uh, sports crazy town also. Does that sound familiar? Sports crazy town also. There was art, architecture that was amazing. Famous though also for drunkenness and sexual immorality. They had a temple to Aphrodite. There were prostitutes, men and women that would cruise the place, cruise the town. In fact, the the saying was that he is acting like a Corinthian. They they would be someone that would be stumbling around drunk or, or being involved in sexual immorality. It was used as a slur, but... He also, that person sounds like a Corinthian, would be used as a compliment because they prided themselves on wisdom, man's wisdom. Wow, he sounds like a Corinthian. He's pretty, he's pretty special. He's a great orator. He's got lots of wisdom and knowledge. And so you'll see how that comes into play in just a little while. So here's this awesome move of God, a radical church that is birthed by the ministry of the Apostle Paul in this city. His faithfulness to share the gospel, to preach the word of God, And now he's left town. He was there. The church was planted. It was up and running, flourishing, thriving. And all of a sudden, he finds out, after a little while later, he hears hears that there's some problems in the church. What were the problems? You guys know what the problems are? Divisions between the, 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 the members in the church. Divisions. There was sexual immorality that was actually embraced in the church. The believers were suing one another, going to court and suing one another also. There was unbiblical divorce that was rampant. 
They were getting drunk. They were getting drunk at the communion table. So they take communion and they have the, the bread and the wine, and they thought, you know what? I'll have a little bit of wine. If I have a little, maybe a whole lot's a lot better. And so they're t- they're getting drunk at the communion table. They were treating one another. Um, they were treating one another brutally. In fact, this is the only church that Paul had to define what love is, to remind them of what love really is, what it looks like in our lives. Not only that, there was a, there, the spiritual gifts that they were exercising, it was chaotic. It was, maybe you've been to a church where the spiritual gifts, it's chaotic, out of control, what's going on. And not only that, they were jacked up in their theology, the doctrine of the resurrection. They were messed up. So Paul, the first 11 chapters of this book we're going to study are all about correction. Do we need, ever need correction? Yes. Correction's good, isn't it? Yes. Do your kids think correction is good? Kids, do you think correction is good for mom and dad usually? Oh, dad, thanks for sharing that. That was awesome, dude. Yeah. Oh, mom, thank you for correcting me. I just, oh, just love it when you correct me. But parents, think about that. Do you want the best for your kids? Correct, moms and dads, you want the best for them. We don't sit around going, ah, how can we make their lives miserable, honey? Oh, that sounds cool. Let's do that. We don't do that. It's like we want the best. We need correction. Paul cares about these people. He loves them. And he's also going to answer some questions that they had also. They had written to Paul. Paul had written another letter we don't have or many other letters we don't have. But in any event, he's going to answer some questions that they have also. And so this letter, by and large, is corrective. And what's interesting, just to take note, one more thing. That's a long intro, isn't it? One more thing is that this was a church. There was a whole group of people that couldn't stand the Apostle Paul. They couldn't stand him. And listen, it wasn't for good reasons. It was pretty superficial because of the way he talked, the way he looked. And you know what, Paul? He was, the, he was the, I would say, the unappreciated apostle. But you know what he said? The less you love me, the more I'll love you. It's the heart of the Lord, isn't it? And Paul gives them grace upon grace. Oh, there's a balance of grace and truth. Our Lord Jesus is full of grace and truth, and there needs to be a balance. And so he reminds them of God's grace to begin with here. So let's check it out. Introduction, Paul. Notice how he identifies himself. He's called, that means to be summoned or divinely invited, is the idea. It's not of his own choosing. He's called to be an apostle. What's an apostle? Do you remember what apostle is? It means sent out one. One that has been sent out. And so Paul says, I've been called an apostle of who? Jesus Christ. He's the one who's sending me out. He's the one who's, it's not of my own choosing, It's not of my own design. This is something the Lord has called me to do and notice by the will of God. When we say the will of God, that means God's choice or God's desire. You guys ever pray the Our Father? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You realize when we're praying that, we're saying, my kingdom has to go. I want your kingdom. My will has to go. I want your will, your desire, your choice for my life. Do you think his choices are the best for our lives? 
His desires are the best for our lives. We think if I surrender my will, I'm going to be all messed up. I'll be in Africa, you know, in, in the mission field, sleeping on dirt and trying to fight off animals. No, 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 no. God loves you. And his plans for you are glorious and awesome. And when you surrender your will to his, you find out that everything he does is righteous and true. Every time. He is absolutely faithful. He's reliable. He's dependable. And he is good all the time. Amen. And Paul says, I just do what God wants me to do. And notice who also is with him. Who's also writing? Who's the other guy? Sosthenes, our brother. You guys remember who Sosthenes is? You guys remember who Sosthenes is? Chapter 18. You can check it out later. So the Apostle Paul's ministering there. And the new ruler of the synagogue was Sosthenes, a Jewish dude. And Sosthenes is ticked off that Paul's ministering, sharing the gospel, preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And so what does Sosthenes do? He grabs Paul and takes him to court before the proconsul Gallio. And Gallio, by the way, he, he, uh, he was around at 52 to 53 AD, verified by secular accounts. So Gallio, that's the timing of this, of what we're talking about here. So Paul gets drugged to court by Sosthenes, this dude right here, this Jewish synagogue leader, and he starts making accusations to the proconsul, Gallio, and Gallio goes, whoa, whoa, time out. That's a loose paraphrase, by the way. doesn't say that. Dude, time out. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with the Roman court. You need to deal with this. Is not this has nothing to do with us. And you know what they did? The court and, and the proconsul they drove them out. All the Jews that came, and then you know what they did with Sosthenes? They took Sosthenes out back. You know what they did to him? Boom, boom. They're bam. That's what that's what's called hitting the sauce. Some of you will get that later. They're, they're pounding him. I don't think the apostle Paul was going. Give him one more. Come on. Come on. Make him lumpy like me. I don't think Paul was saying that at all. I think, you know, I think personally, this is my own opinion, and we'll find out someday. I think Paul took Sosthenes under his wing and loved on him and shared with him the love of Jesus Christ. And it touched Sosthenes' heart so much that he gave his life to the Lord. And now they're linked up together, serving Jesus. They're, right, they're teamed up, and they're writing this letter together. Notice what it says in verse 2. Paul reminds them who they are in Christ. And so he says, to the church of God. Whose church is it? Doesn't belong to, doesn't belong to a pastor. Doesn't belong to a board. Doesn't belong to a board of deacons. Doesn't belong to the pope. Doesn't belong to a priest. The church belongs to God, you guys. We are not free to do whatever we want with God's church. It belongs to him. It is his blood-bought church. Jesus said, um, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so that word church, by the way, it's ekklesia in the Greek. And it means called out ones. So Paul, an apostle, is a sent out one. Ecclesia or church means called out once. What have we been called out of, you guys? Out of the world, absolutely. We've been called, Peter says, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous 
into his marvelous light. So we're called out from something, but to something else. We're called out of the world, living living an empty life, a meaningless life, spinning our wheels, trying to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We've been called out of all of that into a relationship with the Lord to walk with him, to follow him, and to allow him to lead our lives and transform us as we follow him. And so notice the city is Corinth. And by the way, the church is way bigger than just the local fellowship. It is the church of God. Notice what it says, at Corinth. We're the church of God right here on Kinnigi Cemetery Road, by the way. That's how you pronounce it. Some of you don't know how to pronounce the road that we have church on. Now you know, hopefully that's not the only thing you remember from the lesson today. But the church is way bigger than just us, than just the church there at Corinth. The church is worldwide, all those that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And notice how Paul identifies them, that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is so glorious. You know what sanctified means? Anybody know what sanctified means? It it, it means holy. It means set apart. It means distinct. It means to dedicate. It means to separate. And it also means to be made holy. This is so glorious. Why is this so glorious? Remember who Paul's writing to here? This is the church that's all jacked up. They're all messed up. I I personally, I don't think I would begin with this in the letter. I'd be like, what's the matter with you guys? Get your head in the game. Come on, quit doing that stuff. Paul is so gracious. He reminds them first of who they are in Christ. Number one, we are sanctified. Done deal, the Bible says. In Christ Jesus, God sees us as holy. Is that amazing or what? That's glorious. I don't feel holy. But God sees us that way. We are sanctified, but we're also in the sanctification process of being made holy, of being transformed, the Bible says, from glory to glory, being changed to, be more, to become more like Jesus Christ. And some of us are further along in the sanctification process. In other words, we've been in the hospital just a little bit longer than others. That doesn't mean we look down on people. What's the matter with you? Get your act together. We are all in this process, and it's by God's grace that he's changing us. Amen? Some of us are like the I-10. Some of us are like the 290, under construction for a long time. <laughs> Slow process, right? But nevertheless, you look back over your life, and the Lord's doing something glorious. It's his work in us. It's not us fixing ourselves. It's not, I cleaned up my act and then came to Jesus. No, he came into my heart and began to change me from the innermost part of my being. Anybody else have that experience here <laughs> this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. That it's him doing it? It's glorious. And so Paul reminds them, not only positionally are you sanctified, but practically you're being sanctified, called. And and look at your Bibles. If it says to be, it's in italics. That was not there in the original language. To be in italics, it means it was added later by translators. Literally, Literally in the Greek it says called saints. And that word is the same root word as sanctified. It means unlike any other It means different. It means set apart. Do you guys know any saints? Do you guys know any saints? You do? All you got to do is just look around the room. St. Jim, St. John, St. Betty, 
St. Bernard. No, that's not St. Bernard. <laughs> Listen, that's, what the, that's us, you guys. Again, God calls us saints, his set-apart ones. Unlike any other, we're different. This is how God sees them. This is how God sees us. Again, I, we see them in all the Corinthians and all their junk. And so often we don't understand grace, but it is real. It's because of his grace. God sees us this way. In Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, this is how God views you and me. In fact, he says this letter is for every person in every location that calls on the name, the name that is above every other name, the name of who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? So let's little little reminder here. Let's look what this says. Number one, we are a church. We are a family. We are a group of believers called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? So that we would shine for him. Amen. Jesus said, you and you alone are the light of the light of the world. Not only as a church are we to shine for Jesus, but wherever the Lord leads you, wherever he has you planted. In your neighborhood, in your schools, in your businesses, the workplace, wherever. The Lord wants you to shine there too. Not to be walking in darkness, but to shine for Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So that you would shine for Jesus. The problem at Corinth, you know what was happening? They were becoming dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Rather than them shining in Corinth, rather than impacting and influencing Corinth, Corinth was impacting and influencing them. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, pastor, I'm just not shining too brightly lately. What should I do? It's not so shiny. I'm chicken. I can't shine at work. I can't shine at school. I'm just... You guys ever see those glow-in-the-dark toys? Have you ever seen glow-in-the-dark toys? Anybody have one still? You play with it? No. I do with my son, Luke. He's got this lizard I brought from like Honduras or El Salvador. I can't remember. been so many trips. Glow-in-the-dark lizard, and it lost its shine. <gasps> do we just throw it out? Just chuck it out? No. What do you do to make that thing shine again? You hold it up and get it close to the, to the light so that it soaks in some light. And then you know what happens? You bring it away from the light for a little bit, and what? You turn out the lights, and guess what? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> So let's translate that now into our walk with Jesus. I'm not shining too bright. I'm not, I'm not being the light of the world. What should, Pastor, what should I do? Should I buy a book? Christian bookstore? There's got to be some good books on how to shine brightly for Jesus. Should I go online? Should I Google it? Only if the first page comes up, right? That's the only good stuff because Google always tells the truth. You know what you should do? You should spend time with Jesus, with the light of the world. And you know what will happen as you do that? You're going to start to shine for Jesus. Because the Bible says that we're transformed, transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God as we look at Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus. It's that simple, you guys. We come to Him, not only individually, but as a corporately, as a family too. We come to Jesus this morning. It's a relationship we have with Him to seek Him, to, to absorb what He has for us into our hearts and into our lives. That when we walk out of here, we're shining in our communities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the workplace. And what does that do? It brings the Lord glory and honor. And His kingdom is furthered. He wants heaven filled up, you guys. 
And he wants to use our lives to make an impact in the lives of those that don't know him. Second, we are people who are right before God. Isn't that nice this morning? That we're right before him because of our faith in Jesus Christ and we're being transformed. We are a set-apart people for God and for his exclusive use also. And notice what it says at the end of that verse. It says, who call on the name of Jesus Christ. What does it say? End of verse 2. We call on the name of Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Paul reminds them that Jesus is our boss. We belong to him. He has the final say on everything. We get our marching orders from him. Check this out. Six times in ten verses, the word Lord is used over and over and over again. Is that an accident? Jesus Christ is used nine or ten times, depending upon your translation, in ten verses. Is that an accident? What is Paul trying to do? He's trying to get them to get their focus back on who? On Jesus. You guys ever take your eyes off of Jesus? Anybody here ever take their eyes off of Jesus? I just took mine. We do, don't we? Maybe, maybe you've got your eyes on your problems right now, your issues. They're consuming you. You're struggling. You've got your eyes on everything else this morning but the Lord. What's the Lord saying this morning as we read this? Put your eyes back on Jesus. You guys remember when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus? You guys remember what happened? It's like one of my favorite stories. The disciples were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Remember what they were doing? They were doing donuts. <laughs> we gotta be obedient. We gotta do what Jesus said. We gotta do what he said. No prayer, just work. We gotta do it. For hours. Struggling. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes down from the mountain. He'd been praying, and he's cruising on the Sea of Galilee on the water. Wind's blowing, waves are kicking, he's got no board, he's just cruising the waves. It's a ghost. The disciples freak out. Remember that? It's a ghost. And the Lord said, no, chill out, it's me, loose paraphrase. And what did Peter say? Lord, if it is you, who else could it be walking on water? If it is you... Tell me to come to you. Command me to come to you. And what does the Lord say? Come on. And Peter does what? Steps out of the boat, onto the water. He's cruising on the water. Only disciple to get out of the boat, by the way. And then what happened? He saw that the wind was boisterous. How do you see the wind boisterous? He sees the effects of the wind. He's watching what's happening, the rumbling of the waves and, and all the challenges and all the issues. And he's got his eyes off of Jesus. And you know what it says? It says, beginning to sink. Not sunk, but be- what did that look like? Is that, is that you this week? You're beginning to sink slowly and slowly. Because that's what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus, isn't it? You begin to sink. 
Not sunk. You're never sunk with Jesus. Because underneath are his everlasting arms. And what did, Jesus, what did Peter say? The shortest prayer in the Bible, right? Help! Lord, help! And what did, what did the Lord do with that strong carpenter arm? Boom! Grabbed him. Lifts him up. That's our Lord. He wasn't no weakling. Lifts him up. Ask Peter, where's your faith, man? Where's your trust? And you know what I found? I'm learning. It used to be for me six looks at my issues and one look at Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? Now it's reversed. Now it's one look at my issues and six looks at Jesus. It, the, the, it's, it's, it's closing the gap. But some of, some of us this morning, you're just looking at your issues. And you've got your eyes off of Jesus. And Paul's reminding the church here. He's reminding us this morning. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Who he is. What he's done in your life. What he's doing currently. He's not done with you yet. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at the next verse. Are we going to get through this chapter this morning? I don't think so. But look at verse 3. This is the typical greeting Paul writes with all of his letters. Grace to you and peace. So where, in, where are grace and peace from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What is grace? God's kind. Does anybody like God's kindness? His kindness, his favor to the undeserving. We don't deserve it. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. It's his kindness, his goodness, his favor in your life. And he gives it to us. Doesn't he lavish it upon us? Anybody thankful for the grace of God this morning? I am. And then peace. What is peace? Is that, is that the in-between reloading period? <laughs> it's, a, yes, absence of warring is a great definition. There's two types of peace biblically. You guys know what they are. There's peace with God, and there's the peace of God. We have peace with God when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know about you, but before I came to know Jesus personally, I had no clue I was at war with God. I thought me and the big guy, we're good. You know, I'm better than most people. I go to church once in a while. Love Jesus? Yeah, man. Had no clue I was at war with God, going my own way, doing my own thing, living for, living my own life for my completely self-absorbed, selfish life hurting myself and hurting others. And then the Lord rescued me and saved me. And I read the Bible and go, man, I am so sorry, Lord. I was at war with you, shaking my fist. But now I have peace with God, but there's also the peace of God. Where do we read about the peace of God? <laughs> Philippians 4, verses... You guys know this verse, don't you? Verse 6 through 7. Be anxious for, be anxious on every day that ends in Y. That's all. doesn't say that, does it? 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, you guys know this, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that an awesome promise? Maybe one of the most disobeyed. Right? If you're taking notes, check this verse out when you get a chance. Isaiah 26.3. God promises perfect peace. How good is this peace? Perfect. God promises perfect peace to the mind that stayed upon him. That's hallelujah stuff. Perfect peace. Do you have perfect peace this morning? We should, shouldn't we? We should be the we should be the less we should be the least stressed out people on the whole planet. We should be the most chill people in town. You guys agree with me or not? Or should we be stressed out as Christians, biting our nails, eating comfort, stuff in our face with comfort food? We should be totally chill. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, let's keep reading. Let's see what it says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we finally, when we realize we get it, we get grace, we have peace, and you know what happens? I don't have to try to fix anyone. I don't have to try to fool anyone. I don't have to try to fight everyone, defend myself. When I realize and I recognize what God's grace is, it's like, man, there's freedom. There's peace. We've been the recipients of amazing grace. Do you think the Lord wants us to give grace to others? I do too. Paul is super gracious here, you guys. Look what he says, verse 4 through 9. Let's keep rolling. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. Why? For the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Yes. Why? That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't that amazing what he says here? Sort of, kind of cool, pretty sweet. Paul begins with gratitude and then he reminds them of a number of things here. This is take, stuff to take to the bank spiritually this morning. Number one, verse four, Paul thanks God continually concerning the Corinthian church. What's the first thing that Paul's thankful for? The grace of God. This is amazing. Every time I think of you, it's like, wow, God is so gracious. Every time you come to mind, I, I'm just like, thank, thank you, Lord, for the grace you're giving them. For God's kindness and favor. It's because of Jesus Christ we've become the recipients of amazing grace, by the way. John chapter 1. Of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. 
Grace upon grace. Verse 5, what's the second thing Paul is thankful for? Look what it says. They've been enriched. It means to be made wealthy. God made this church abound in everything. The Corinthian church was blessed with every spiritual blessing. Has that happened in our lives too? Yes, Ephesians chapter 1, right? We are, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. 2 Peter chapter 1, it says what? We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You guys with me this morning still? Colossians 2 talks about that we are complete in Him. We have everything we need in Jesus. And let me remind us this morning, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Listen, it's God who enriches us, you guys. We are super wealthy spiritually. And then specifically, he says, for two things. All utterance. What is utterance? What does it mean to utter? Is that the thing on the cow? Is that what we're talking about here? (laughs) Utter means to, to speak. To communicate. So Paul is thankful for how they're communicating. And having received God's grace... Having come to know Jesus personally, doesn't our conversation change? Don't the words that come out of us change? Are you with me this morning still? We still together on this? Right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, things that come out of us change. And Paul's grateful for that. He's also grateful for what? They've been enriched in all knowledge. Their working knowledge is the idea. Working knowledge that comes from a relationship with the Lord. In other words, they're connecting the dots spiritually. You guys know what I'm talking about? Connecting the dots? You guys ever connect the dots? It looks like an animal or whatever. They're putting it together spiritually. They're taking the word and they're getting it. Paul's like, I'm thankful for that. That that's happening in your lives and in your church. Verse 6, look what it says. Paul's thankful that they have a solid testimony for Jesus Christ, a witness. That word confirmed means established or sure. In other words, he's saying to the church, I have seen Jesus change your life and you have a testimony. This morning, do you have a testimony for Jesus Christ? I remember the first time I heard that as a new believer wondering, what in the world a testimony? It's what you were before you came to know Jesus Christ. When you came to know Jesus Christ and what your life has been like afterwards. You guys with me? This is the path I was on. It's Jesus Christ who came into my heart and saved me and rescued me, forgave me, made me born again. And this is what he's doing in my life currently. That's a testimony of a changed life. There's been a change in your life. Correct? And sometimes you hear people share a testimony and it's so lopsided. It's all about what what they came out of. And they give glory to their past. And they say, I did this and I was in this thing. And I did that and blah, blah, blah. And then I open my heart to Jesus and hallelujah. Wait, wait a minute. All we heard, you glorified your past, dude. Jesus should be the one getting all the credit. Because he reached down and pulled us up out of the muck and the mire. And has cleaned us up and cleaning us up. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've been a Christian your whole life. You grew up in the church and you've known nothing but Jesus Christ, I think that's the greatest testimony of all. It's a testimony to his keeping power in your life. Are you with me still this morning? 
Don't, don't think that you need to go out and get a testimony. <laughs> I'm going to join a bike gang, and I'm going to get a leather jacket, and I'm going to, you know, do this. And t- no, 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 don't. That's, you're going to wipe out, man. <laughs> you don't need to build your testimony. That is the greatest testimony of your steady, consistent walk with Jesus Christ. It's glorious. Do people recognize a difference in our lives since we've been saved? Do we have a testimony for Jesus? Would others confirm that? Verse 7, he says, he's thankful that they're not lacking in any spiritual gift. You have everything you need. You come short in no gift. What he's saying is you're all gifted and there's a calling for all of you with all of your spiritual gifts. And here's the problem, you guys. They were using all their spiritual gifts they've been blessed with and it was out of control. It was chaotic. It was, it was, it was nuts. And if you've ever been to a church like that, it's weird, man. I've been to a number of churches like that. It's like, this is weird. And here's the thing about what he's saying here. And, and, and here's the thing that can happen in our lives. Is that you can see someone exercising spiritual gifts and think they're spiritual when they're not. Did you catch that? We can see someone exercising their spiritual gifts and go, wow, that person is so spiritual. They are off the Richter spiritual. Wow. And you know what Paul says later? This church, they're a bunch of believers in diapers. They're a bunch of babes that are, that are, that are dirtying their diapers with the way they're acting and treating one another. And they're gifted. They, have, they come short and no gift. They've got all the spiritual gifts. They're using them. The problem was they didn't grow up. And here's Paul desiring to help them to grow up, to mature in the faith. I don't know about you, but I'd say, you know what? I'm done with this church. You guys want to talk trash about me? You're hassling me? You're doing all that? See you later. But Paul, not Paul. God help us be more like the Apostle Paul, to give grace, to help people, to come alongside people, to help them make adjustments. And so he says, I'm, I'm grateful. You're all gifted. You're all, look at verse 7, you're all actively anticipating the Lord's return. You're waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus is coming, by the way. Amen. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I think God wanted every single church and every single generation to be looking for that return of Jesus Christ. It keeps us pure. It keeps us on our toes. It keeps us lit up for Jesus. Verse 8. What does he say here? He's thankful for Jesus confirming them to the end. Jesus Christ is the one who will demonstrate his reliability as the author and finisher of your faith. That is so great, isn't it? God, he's saying God started a work in your life and he's going to finish it. Does Paul say that anywhere else? Philippians 1.6, right? Being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you guys catch that? I hope you don't leave here missing that. God began a good work in you and in me and in the Corinthians. And it says he is going to finish that work. You know what that means? The pressure's off, you and me. We could, again, we can take a chill pill on that. Hallelujah. But it doesn't mean sloppy agape either. 
Now I'm saved, I'm saved by the blood. I can wallow in the mud. I can use God's grace as a doormat to live any way I want. God's grace should teach us something, shouldn't it? Paul said to Titus, this is important. Paul said to Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, for the, listen, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God should teach us something to deny ungodliness, to not go down that trail ever again, what we've been delivered from. And to what? To live soberly, righteously, and godly in this age we live in, looking for the return of Jesus Christ. The grace of God should be teaching us those things, gang, and we should be walking in those things with the help of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says also as we finish up here. It says in the end of verse 8, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. On that special day when you stand before the Father, the Son will present you faultless. The Corinthians? Yep. Calvary Chapel, West Houston? Yep. (laughs) How awesome is that? Jude, verse 24. Now to him, speaking of Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. You guys ever stumble? It says Jesus will keep us from stumbling. Stay close to Jesus. You guys ever heard that before? That's saying, stay close to Jesus. Planks. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And it says, listen to this. What does Jude the dude say? That's what he says. That's what he says. He says, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know what that means? When you take your last breath here and you arrive in heaven, Jesus is going to take you to the Father and present you faultless before him, and it's going to make him really happy. That's awesome. It's like, how can we ever live lives that are dishonoring? For what he did and what he's doing, what he's going to do. It's like, God, help us. Does that excite you? Guys, we don't need to strive. We simply need to enjoy what God has called us into. What has he called us into? Last verse and we're done. We're finished. We're not getting through the chapter today. God is faithful. You know what that means? He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. By whom you were called. You've been called. You've been invited. What have we been invited into? The fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What has God called us into? He's not called us into religion. He's not called us into rituals. He's not called us into a system. He's called us into fellowship. It means a relationship. It means the connecting and uniting of life together. Are you with me? 
This is the reason we were created, you guys. Colossians 1, all things are created by him and for him. That means, you're for, that means you were created for him, for a relationship. You've been called. You've responded in this amazing relationship where he's rescued us. And now he's doing this work in us. And he's going to present us faultless and blameless before the Father. And so what do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, stay close to him, spend time with him. Seek his face. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He'll transform your life. He will change you from the innermost part of your being and make you into the man or woman that he's called you to be. Individually, we're called into this amazing, glorious relationship with Jesus. Corporately, we've been brought together as a family into this relationship with Jesus. Let me remind us this morning as we close, life is meant to be lived together. There's to be connectedness in this fellowship. We gather together not to check off a box on our list of things we do. We gather together to meet with Jesus, to seek him, to worship him, to hear from him. Why? Because we have a living relationship with a living Lord that loves us, that cherishes us, that nourishes us, that shepherds our lives in such a glorious way that we recognize and realize it could only be him. He's so good. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Such an amazing uh, portion of scripture, Lord, that we have begun and I pray, Lord, that my precious brothers and sisters, as your word washes over them this morning, that they would be reminded of of your beautiful, glorious care, of your concern, of your love, of your grace. Lord, forgive us when we get so anxious and fretting and we get so consumed with these issues that truly will not matter in all of eternity.